This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So over the weekend, I got a message about this around 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. And I didn't realize there'd been a story behind it. Uh, but the uh, 6, like the, the Toronto 6 website, 6IX Buzz TV, like I know what they're trying to do here. I can't stand that 6IX thing. It's very uh, confusing to someone like me who thinks Roman numerals. What are we doing? 69 Buzz TV. None of that's correct. But the tweet got a ton of views. 137,000 people have seen this. And they sent this out at 1220 in the afternoon on on Saturday. Olivia Chow asked Toronto residents to open homes to refugees. And I'm thinking to myself, when I see the headline, I'm like, hmm, that's possible. Like the fact that I believe that she may have done that has um, a concerning context to it because that would mean it she's out of ideas to raise money. And I also think you don't say this. You don't say this during an election campaign. You don't say as you're asking people for their vote. What you say during an election campaign, to be honest, is there's complicated problems in Toronto. It's like a, I've said this before. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. One puzzle has to one puzzle piece fits here. Another fits there. But if you were going to um, make that part of your campaign platform, you're going to finish seventh, not first. You can't say that when you're running for mayor. So that, I think that's what gets people's uh, adrenaline um, up. And and maybe, maybe they're, they're blood boiling a little bit is, wait a minute, you've been in the job two weeks. You said you'd be able to go to the prime minister's office, work with Justin Trudeau, and I suppose Christian Freeland. Christian Freeland sends you a letter last week and says, hey, sorry, no more money. Why don't you ask the province? And the response to be to me, to be honest, has not been great from Olivia Chow so far. Like, I'm worried there's a shrug of the shoulders and be like, well, we tried. That's not going to be good enough. That's not what you said you'd do. That isn't good enough. And you need to do better. And again, do what you said you were going to do. Get in there. Bulldog it a little bit. Figure it out. Because that's no good. Now, she's not asking specifically you and me to each take in a refugee or people that are, are able to. She's not asking about that just yet. And that's got a whole lot of complexities to it. Is the city liable if something goes awry in even in one scenario out of a thousand? Like that's 0.1%. One scenario happens out of a thousand where something goes wrong. There's some kind of dispute. This could even be a uh, homeowner, um, a, a refugee saying a homeowner did something to me, started a fight, took something of my property, um, kicked me out with no notice. Who, what's the, what's the safeguard here? Where are the bumpers? What's the, who ensures that this could work? So you, this is not right so far to ask you and me to become part of the solution. Not 14 days in. It's very fair. I think for people to ask Olivia Chow, how many refugees will you be taking in to your home over the next few weeks? It's great. You visited the church last week. And that is impressive. I'm not not impressed by that. More politicians need to do that. People like me need to do that and see the conditions and understand what we're dealing with here. 
Here's Olivia Chow last week. In essence, um, I wouldn't say it's a mea culpa for a policy of hers, but um, have a listen and you decide what she's getting at here. We have a housing crisis. You heard the city of Toronto declare homelessness an emergency. We do have a housing crisis. And in the middle of a housing crisis, we also have these very brave, courageous men and women and, other, and others that are coming to Canada because of violence, persecution, based on race, class, gender, sexual orientation, based on all types of problems. Okay, listen, Olivia Chow, I'll say this as, as often and as um, emphatically as I can, didn't create the city that we've got right now. It's a big city. It's bursting at the seams. Demand for housing has is unprecedented. Demand for space is unprecedented. I think the city's a little more callous than it used to be. Like, I'm, I can tell you I care, and you can tell me you care, but I think it's got a, a harshness to it that big cities often have. But when you realize that you have that, you correct it a little bit. New York City went through this in the late 70s, and they they had some self-correcting there. And now it's a better, it's a safer city to go to for a tourist. It's a better city to go to. Cities deal with these things. Um, and I think the citizens of Toronto have been let down for a long time by their leaders. And that's not just John Tory. That's not just Rob Ford. That's everybody who makes decisions. And by the way, yes, some of the provincial and federal politicians have let us down also. So there ain't much trust for politicians. Olivia Chow's walking into a scenario where the trust is, it's evaporated. I don't know if it's fully gone, but I heard from enough people over the weekend who I would make the case lean more left than right. And they said, Greg, this is why I couldn't vote for Olivia Chow to become the new mayor. Because it's not, it's not 1996 and it's not 2004. And getting out an acoustic guitar and singing Kumbaya around the campfire is not a practical solution. Hope is not a, hope is not po- a policy. Okay. If that ever worked, it won't right now. So there's a massive burden on Olivia Chow. There's a massive one. But there's practical things that haven't been done yet. There shouldn't be any ask of citizens who voted for her 14 days in. City planning's been dysfunctional. We have terrible traffic. Even Tom Cruise talks about it. Of course he does. We have a brutal housing crisis for people who already live here. There's tenant landlord disputes out the yin-yang. City services just seems dismissive of this, dismissive of that. It's not fine. Yeah, rich people walking a uh, dog that they paid $1,500 for can't get water from a fountain in May. You may say, oh, that's nothing compared to somebody, um, you know, escaping uh, religious or sexual orientation persecution from another country. Fine. I agree with you. But let's not let's not not consider they're both problems. They're both problems where the city, again, lets their citizens down time after time after time. So much so that people pack their bags and they say, goodbye, Toronto. They are they are doing that. You do realize that it's an expensive city as it is. If you don't feel like you have a purpose here, if you feel like there's more bad than good, there's more down than up, you'll leave. You'll leave anything, a relationship, a job. Family members, you'll you'll say, no problem getting estranged here. This person constantly lets me down. So this is me saying this, and you can text me if you agree, disagree, 416-870-6400. This early in Olivia Chow's tenure, 
to request the Toronto citizens help her, her, out of her jam. She didn't get appointed mayor. She didn't get pushed into the job. She wanted it. So we're led to believe. We've all got these issues. We all want a better city. You're 14 days in. You can't ask people to take in refugees in their rental space. You can't ask people to step up and, as private, ordinary citizens, take in people that were sleeping on the pavement. It's your job to figure out funding. It's your job to figure out the billion-dollar deficit. And you need to go to other levels of government, not once, not twice, several times, and fight and argue and, uh, and, and pull a little hair once in a while or run your nails down someone's back, not in a, not in a you know, warm, fuzzy way, um, but do it. Because this is what being mayor in Toronto in 2023 entails. And asking for help already from all of us, that's not leadership. That's not leadership, okay? It's your job to fight back. Dumping it on us isn't a thing. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So um, a couple developments, obviously, last week. Again, if you sort of you know blur, uh, blur the lines and you take your weekend and you just shut down the news cycle, you'd forget that, yes, only last week we had an eight-day span with five murders in the city, and all those are going to be at various levels of uh, of of, uh, of analysis, if you will. And obviously, Tuesday night, we found out Wednesday morning, the first ever death of a police dog in active duty. Bingo is a member of uh, the canine unit, and uh, and he was shot by an assailant um, that they were actually uh, a, a suspected murderer. They were coming to arrest him for second degree murder. And uh, and gunplay and chase developed as well. It wasn't just one officer with one dog. There was a tactical unit there as well. Um, the Toronto Police Association called out Olivia Chow and said, you, you got to speak more publicly on these things about recent violence against officers. We need to know that you and your new role do have indeed our back here. Um, and I've had people close to Olivia Chow who are big Olivia Chow people tell me that they feel like that she should as well. That said, how do we get things on the right on the right level here? How do we get things on an even keel? Dave Perry's a former uh, homicide detective and the founding partner and CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, our 640 Toronto crime expert, and he joins me right now. Dave, it's a great thing to have you on. I appreciate your time. I hope your summer's going great, and thanks for the time. My pleasure. Good morning. Thanks very much for uh, for for doing this. When I lay all that out and and set it up, um, what do you think? We we are hopeful that there can be a strong relationship. Um, and, and yet both sides at times will have to hold each other um, a, a, accountable. But are, are we off to a bad start? We are off to a bad start. And um, in a scenario where Olivia Chow was was elected as mayor and everybody was watching to see what her response would be in a situation like this, I think this was a, a very uh, significant missed opportunity for her to stand behind the women and men in blue and show that they had uh, that she had their back and that she was, she would support them going into the future. So this is really damaging. And in my view to the relationship between the mayor's office and the police and all of our frontline workers are out there trying to keep the city safe during a a very violent time in in our history. And uh, it's going to take a lot of work for it to, to be patched up. But I think, the officers that I speak to every day, that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping that the mayor will step forward and learn from this and start 
publicly throwing her support behind the police. Chow was a city councilor for 15 years um, and uh, and was on um, was on Toronto's police board, but um, resigned. Um, and it just seemed like it was a very, um, you know, untenable relationship. Uh, both sides seemed ha- unhappy with each other. It, David just feels like it's it's picked up from where it left off going back almost 20 years now. Yeah, and, and I don't think anybody wants to see that. I mean, no. I was there, I recall, like it was yesterday when the previous issue happened, and uh, and I suppose, for lack of a better term, she was forced to resign. Mm-hmm. But this, this is a different time. A lot of years have passed. Uh, she is now the mayor of the city of Toronto, and I think uh, for a lot of us that served and that are currently in law enforcement, we're hoping that maybe she'd learned something from that and that we would see some change. And, uh, you know, the first opportunity here where she could have signaled that change. And as a leader, uh, there's an expectation that you would step forward at, at a time of loss for anybody, but especially when you're looking at something so tragic as what happened to uh, the police service dog bingo last week. Mm-hmm. And to have it so silent and nothing coming out of her office until it was more or less asked for um, is quite concerning. And uh, I think at this point, all people are looking for is for her to make it right now, for for her to actually step forward and make her statement. She either does or she doesn't support uh, the, the men and women who keep our city safe. Well, Dave, what's an ideal give and take and, and a discourse between um, the leader of a, of a big city, a Toronto and L.A., a Chicago, and and the law enforcement officers, because I'd make the case John Tory being on the police services board rankled some people and people thought, well, even like, say, with the clearing of the encampments two years ago, some people thought, well, he's conflicted here, even if he thinks that, that things went wrong along the way, even if he thinks it was a bit too heavy handed. Some city councilors certainly thought that. I didn't like a lot of the images I heard from police themselves saying I, we didn't want to be there being as aggressive as we were. What's an ideal scenario? Because some people would make the case Tory was too close. Chow feels too distant. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I always felt that having a mayor on the police service board is a conflict of interest in the first place. Not something that I like to see, but that's just my personal choice. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there was never any doubt that John Tory as the mayor uh, was fully behind uh, the police. And even when they disagree about certain instances or certain policies from time to time, he was fully behind the police, as were many of our previous mayors. This mayor, Olivia Chow, that hasn't made that statement, hasn't shown that she cares, that she is behind the officers and, and truly understands, you know, how important their job is and how dangerous their job is. And it's up to her. It's hers to lose at this point, in my opinion. She needs to step forward and make a public statement on her support for law enforcement. And if she does, I think that's the first step on the road back to some kind of a relationship, a meaningful relationship Mm -hmm. between her office and the Toronto Police Service. But if she doesn't, I think that's all it's going to do is it's going to slide the opposite way. Dave Perry is the founding partner and CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, uh, joining us on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. That's again, that's what some of the, the, the Chow supporters are privately telling me is they want her to be more conciliatory at the same time. I don't love calling her out via tweet by, by the the police union, but I have had people explain to me, look, we've tried through private means. We want to sit down. We want to break bread, if you will. And we're getting nowhere. I know she's busy and it's only been two weeks, but this should want to be the this should want to be one of the biggest priorities because we know what a, an issue during the campaign, Dave, crime, 
um, you know, parole, getting getting getting, by the way, getting the federal and, and provincial government to do their part in making sure criminals aren't on the street and that they're convicted in, in proper fashion as well. It's all interrelated. And, and she hasn't made time for them yet. Exactly. And we all know that based on her campaign, there's quite a large gap between, let's just say, the, the social reform and law enforcement. And uh, and that's just by the nature of, you know, sort of her campaign versus as you said, the law and order campaign. So she's got to get out here pretty quick and start making some statements about the police that might uh, mitigate some future comments. And listen, you know, the current president of the Toronto Police Association, he is not a radical. He's a very intelligent, Mm -hmm. very reasonable person. And for him to come out and make a statement, in my view, it's it's showing that that there is a major upset and a major concern here. So this isn't... uh, radicalism on the part of the police just the opposite it's a bit of desperation and and a bit of um, you know them finally get speaking out about their concerns and and i do share those concerns i i really do find it quite concerning that after everything that happened to different officers and and a police service dog being killed last week that uh, she's been so silent and as it's been reported the silence is, is deafening and it's sending a very strong message to police officers. And if that message is wrong, there's only one person that can step forward and, and correct that. I talked to friends of mine last week who um, who were big, um, big, big Josh Matlow supporters, for example. And and they think this was why they wouldn't have voted for Chow and did vote for Matlow is they thought there just isn't going to be a, a, a chip on the shoulder. Matlow can actually come to the table, talk about the budget, talk about the root causes of, of why the city's where it's at right now. And, and really, you know, get under the hood and try and fix things in concert with the police. They were hopeful that he would do that. But a- after all the controversy last week, bottom line, they were really disappointed by where where the mayor police relationship is right now. And and like I said, I don't think this is about left and right. This is about this is about communication and just coming in with a with a fresh perspective and a fresh set of eyes and saying we have to let bygones be bygones here. The city loses if we don't. Well, it's communication 101, right? If you don't say something, people start creating it. Yeah. And she made no statement at a at a very dark time in policing. And maybe it's just completely disconnected and doesn't understand that when a police dog is murdered in the line of duty that the officers suffer the same as they would if it was their human partner and how tragic it was. And this, this was the first one in Toronto Police history. And it, this was a very significant thing that happened to the officers not just the officers involved, but anybody that wears a uniform. And where's the mayor? You know, it, it, it can be taken many ways that, you know, she has disdain for the police, that she just doesn't care, um, that she's going to push her social policy and agendas the, the way she sees fit, including defunding the police and all of these kinds of things. That Those are the things that are running through people's minds. But uh, most of all is where is the humanity? Where where. Where is the leadership of our mayor who couldn't, for whatever reason, step forward and offer some condolences to police officers during a very serious time? And uh, that's going to be a hard one for her to overcome now. The damage is done, but uh, it can't it doesn't mean it can't be corrected, but it is going to take some work on her part. I just I hope and and again, I hope on the other side, too, I I hope the rhetoric can be um, toned down, if not eliminated. And 
somebody, and you're saying it's got to be her, somebody reaches out and says, all right, enough's enough. We need to meet if we want a better city. If 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 she doesn't, like, we're 15 days in and we're already having this conversation. People are worried it might happen 150 days in. We're pretty early for this kind of um, impasse, if you will. Yeah, and you know what? For what it's worth, uh, you know, I support the Toronto Police Association coming out in the way that they did huh. based on uh, the facts here. Uh, the facts are... are speak for themselves officers injured a police dog mm-hmm. murdered in the line of duty and absolutely nothing from the mayor this this should start the conversation yeah. um, if there's a continued silence coming out of the mayor's office or this sort of uh you know mm-hmm. trite messages that i've been in touch with the chief that just doesn't do it if if that's her example yeah. of how she's going to lead our city through difficult times with in law enforcement we're in big trouble let's stay in touch on this issue dave i appreciate your perspective on it Always my pleasure. Okay. Dave Perry joining us, former homicide detective uh, with ICN Investigative Investigative Solutions Network. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. A very, very big endorsement last week, I think, for our next guest uh, to become the next Ontario Liberal leader. And it came from former Minister of the Environment for the federal government. So they've worked together in Ottawa on Parliament Hill. That was from Catherine McKenna, our guest, of course, Beaches East York MP, Nate Erskine-Smith. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's big. Um, Catherine McKenna, like I said, is uh, is is really well respected. She has sort of stayed free of a lot of political discussions. She's a hard person to get on the radio or in front of TV cameras because I think I get it. Uh, after a lot of politics, some people want their their private life back. Um, but she came out for you and and was very emphatic um, that she loves the climate plan you've put forward for the province of Ontario. No doubt, I had a good working relationship with Catherine. I consider her a friend, but more than that. In leaving politics, she obviously had an important climate role in politics, but in leaving politics, she's now the chair of a net zero advisory body for the UN, and she is only interested in coming back and endorsing folks in politics who are really strong on climate. And so we have a really ambitious plan. It's all about ambition. It's all about action. It's also about accountability to make sure we hit those goals and deliver that action. And she stood alongside me and, and alongside the environment critic at Queen's Park uh, for the Liberals, Mary Margaret McMahon, my, my local and MPP in Beaches East York. And we talked about the need to deliver serious climate action in Ontario and leadership we aren't seeing at Queen's Park. I know that I think the provinces, and I would make the case Ontario, um, especially in the five years under Doug Ford, they've been criticized for kind of riding the coattails of the federal government. You know, you guys in the federal government get all the criticism for um, for attempting to um, get closer to net zero, for the carbon tax, etc. There are things provinces can do, not just Ontario, but right across coast to coast in, in Canada. And I'm worried many of them aren't doing so. They're, they are kind of riding coattails on, on the federal government here. We see major leadership from the federal government. And and look, the progress hasn't been perfect, but Mm -hmm. we have delivered more serious action on this file than most countries around the world in the last eight years. And and more than that, there are some provinces that are riding coattails, and then there are some provinces that are showing leadership. You look at EV uptake in BC, it's 20%. It is 14% in Quebec, and it's only 6% in Ontario. Ontario is the largest province in this country. It should not be being eclipsed by BC and Quebec on the climate file. We should be leading. And it's not just about protecting the planet for our kids. We obviously need to show leadership on that front. If we do it right, it's about lowering energy bills and it's about making sure we're creating good jobs. 
And as you know, so mu- so often, I know how this works, weather and climate often get confused. It'll snow, it'll be minus 20, and people say, where's all that climate change? We had a pretty mild weekend after three hot days as well. But some of this is preventative tactics. Some of this is understanding that there's a, a bigger picture involved. Again, if, if, we, if we're not supposed to confuse weather with climate in January, we probably shouldn't do the same in July either. <laughs> you know, it's funny because you look at the question of riding coattails. Well, you also have a provincial government today that's riding coattails of the last provincial liberal government because they phased coal-fired electricity, and we saw smog days, or 50 smog days a year, go down to zero. And so we should care about clean air and clean water today. So it's not just about protecting our planet down the road, and, and that's important, protecting the planet for our kids and reducing emissions. It can be a bit es- esoteric for some people. And so this is also, if we take serious environmental action, that we are looking at clean air, clean water, more swimmable water. We're looking at more nature access, protecting the green belt, expanding the green belt, and making sure that we, we deliver nature access and, and clean air, clean water today. I think so much of it is just just about setting direction, like it's setting direction for regulators. It's setting direction for utilities. And I think the province can drive not just conversation, but in eventually policy about how a building is heated. Of course, transportation ends up being sometimes the most polarizing issue, but just setting industry and buildings going in the right direction so that a private company can says, well, they're advising this is the way to do it. And it makes economic sense and it, it, it makes tangible sense as well for our future. The three biggest drivers of emissions in Ontario, you've hit all three. Transportation is the biggest one, buildings are the second, and industry is the third. Mm-hmm. And you need governments that are going to set rules, of course, to make sure that there's certainty in the marketplace and to encourage as quick of a transition as we can get. And, and look, people should know the transition, global transitions, happening with or without us. There's an opportunity to be seized here uh, and, and attract global investment and make sure we deliver jobs here by really leaning into it. And, and we also have to make it easier not only for industry, because there are some hard-to-transition industries, there are emissions-intensive industries here in Ontario, but we also have to make it easier for, for consumers. And that means on electric vehicles, it means investing in public transit, it means really looking at folks in northern Ontario who can't rely on public transit and, and rural Ontario and saying, here's how we're going to make sure that there are subsidies and supports on the EV charging side. And, and then on the building side, making sure we really lean into supporting homes, small businesses, and public community-minded buildings to make sure we see real green retrofits. So you ended up getting up there a lot to northern Ontario, to areas where uh, where transit isn't a thing. And I know you've got some events coming up um, in on the west side of our province, like the Sarnia area, where where I, and I and when I drove around there when when our family was up there for a week. I realize how vital cars are. What do those residents of Ontario say to you about EVs? In Toronto, Ottawa, Hamilton, London, some of these cities, yeah, you, you can you can try and get greener and think more about public transit and how to get from point A to B. There's a lot of folks that don't have that option. What do they say to you about that transition to electric vehicles? It's funny you ask because someone was just giving me a hard time online because they want to see greater investments in public transit and EVs are not the answer we really should not be pitting these conversations as against each other. Mm-hmm. We need both. We need to deliver public transit in areas like the one I'm sitting in right now in Beaches East York. And then if you're in Dryden in Northern Ontario or you are in Kamlaki in Southwestern Ontario, you need to make sure that you have governments that are helping to lead the way, supporting consumers in the shift to electric vehicles. Public transit is not going to be the answer everywhere. And what do they want when I'm in Northern Ontario? 
They want two things, really. They do want access to EVs, including, you know, more heavy pickup trucks and more heavy-duty vehicles that are, that are electric and that are clean. Uh, and then at the same time, making sure that you look at the high cost of home heating, and we should be really investing in heat pumps and distributed energy and, and rooftop solar and everything else to make sure we have greater reliability because the grid's not so reliable in some places and it's really expensive to heat your home with propane. And so we've really, we can, there's an opportunity to lower energy bills at the same time if we, if we do this right. Nate Erskine Smith, our guest, Beaches East York MPs, running for Ontario Liberal leader as well. I know one of your colleagues um, in the cabinet shuffle last week, Sean Fraser, has become the new housing minister. That got a lot of praise. Any kind of massive cabinet shuffle is going to going to get, you know, the media and critics and pundits saying, I like this one, don't like that one. One of the most universally approved. And this is such an important portfolio. And this this plays in to so much about what you want to accomplish as Ontario Liberal leader and eventually premier is housing. What are the what are the important things Sean has to do and what do you see as as the priorities, especially in the immediate uh, immediate several months? It's interesting. Sean's great, and I'm glad he's in the role that he's in. It's also really important, I think, that he was previously in the role of immigration minister, because one of the first jobs that any housing minister and infrastructure minister has to do is sit down with provincial counterparts and say, how do we help you to make sure that infrastructure, including housing, is being built at a pace that is fast enough to keep pace with population growth and, and including through immigration? And we're not, we're not keeping pace right now. We need to make sure the federal government really leans in through CMHC to make sure financing tools are more available to municipalities and nonprofits to really build the non-market supply that we need. We need the federal government to use financing tools, including through infrastructure, to tie infrastructure to density. And if municipalities are building sprawl, they, they shouldn't get the same infrastructure funding otherwise. And so we, we should be really leading the way at the federal level. But at the end of the day, most of the action, and this is why I have such an interest in provincial politics, I think provincial governments have much more to say on a housing file around yeah. you know, around, around zoning, around making sure that we are pushing municipalities to the right things, and around making sure we have beneficial ownership registries on, our, on the residential resale side. So there's a lot that the federal government can do, and I think I hope Sean leads the way, but there's so much more the province can do if we if we had real leadership at Queens Park. Yeah, I think we, we've spotted the importance uh, on that on that housing front, on the education front as well. I know you've got an announcement coming in the in the next couple of weeks about how you would uh, alter uh, education for the better. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the by election results last week. I know we had Andrea Hazel in studio on Wednesday, um, and maybe to the surprise of some, not to others, um, she kept Scarborough Guildwood for the Liberals, and there was obviously a big win in Kanata Carlton. What did the overall what did the overall tone of the evening and winning those two? seats when you know how badly the conservatives wanted Scarborough Guild with running Gary Crawford there. What did the results tell you? My takeaway, and I say this from having traveled now over 100 ridings out of 124 and then doing door knocking both with Karen and Canada and with Andrea and Scarborough Guildwood, if we're going to rebuild this party successfully, it's got to be with strong local representation that's connected to the grassroots in their community and knocking on doors for Andrea She's deeply connected in her community for the Business Improvement Association, fundraising on the healthcare side for her community in Scarborough, and knocking doors for Karen. She's a colleague of mine at the federal level and, and hopefully soon to be a colleague at the provincial level as, as I move there. And she's great. And she, and she has a, a, an incredibly strong local reputation for, for carrying herself with integrity. And, and party politics be damned, people wanted to support Karen. 
And so it's really important we have that same approach absolutely everywhere, really, really strong local representation that is connected to grassroots. Otherwise, we're going to continue to be a really disconnected and unsuccessful party. Nate Erskine-Smith is our guest uh, and uh, running for Ontario Liberal leader. Thanks so much for the time today, and we'll talk real soon. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. There's, uh, yeah, that, that's, again, um, there are going to be people that are, are more on board than others right now about where Ontario needs to be. And yes, he just documented it. Not everything the federal government, his own government's done, has been perfect with regard to um, environmental protection, the taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there'd be a lot more of a level playing field, I feel like, at the provincial level. That's me saying that. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. All right, that's uh, live. Well, not live, but it's a live song. It's not happening right now. That's the Stones with Justin Timberlake on stage. Yeah, they invited him back out, and he was a good sport for coming out. And he thought, well, this will be the worst uh, worst thing that happens to me. And then, then the Super Bowl with Janet Jackson happened um, seven months later. So things got better after that. Let's put it that way. 450,000 people at the largest outdoor ticket event in Canadian history, and it still holds that record. Molson Canadian Rocks for Toronto, also known as Sarstock, and we're lucky enough to have um, the uh, MP that helped spearhead this concert. Took a lot of pulling and tugging, ran a lot of different directions during the SARS era, but this concert happened on July 30th of 2003. He is Dennis Mills. Dennis, thank you very much for coming on Toronto today. I greatly appreciate it. Greg, a uh, real pleasure to be on your show, and I really enjoyed listening to the discussion before I came on. It was so appropriate uh, in light of the 20-year experience uh, well, that we had with uh, the rock concert, because our event was all about collaboration, cooperation, federal government, provincial government, municipal, police, etc. And that's exactly what we need to do today to solve the housing crisis. Let's stick with that for a sec, because I'd love to hear your perspective on that. It did feel like that 2003, at least in Canada, Dennis, was more an era where you and I could have 20 issues and maybe we'd agree on 16 or 17 of them, you know, mildly disagree on one, maybe adamantly disagree on a couple, but we could agree on the 16 things to get done. Now it's almost like, I don't like one idea you have, now I don't like you, and, and I'm cutting you out of my life. It feels like that's politics in this day and age. Well, that's exactly, you've, you've nailed it. And, and, but, I, but I tell you, and I'm a liberal, as you know, uh, a federal liberal, and I really believe that the issue is not Olivia Chow, the mayor of Toronto. I believe that the real issue is our prime minister has to come to Toronto, sit in a room for two weeks with Olivia to help Olivia, because as Toronto goes, the nation goes. We represent 20% of the gross national product of this country. And unless we get Toronto fixed and fast, uh, we're all going to be in trouble. The, the canoe will tip, as you properly described before I came on the air. Well, that's what I, uh, you know, but that's what I didn't like uh, about the tone and just a letter from Christopher Freeland last week to Olivia Chow. Um, no, it's just plain wrong. Wrong. And, and, and yet, and yet, 
Um, you can't control Freeland's actions, but all, like we can't control things that happen to us in life. We can control how we react to them. But I need Chow not to throw her arms up in the air and go, well, I tried three weeks in. How about taking in some refugees into Toronto homes? I need her to push hard back because we need we need a battler. And uh, and and I need to make sure that she's she's you know, she can put her shoulder pads and uh, and and and, hel- and helmet on and go marching to Queen's Park and go marching to the House of Commons and say your response wasn't good enough. Yeah, but Greg, she shouldn't have to do that. I know, I know, but I know. This is this is we're putting the we're putting the emphasis on the wrong person. When we did SARS twenty years ago, I didn't go to the mayor of the city of Toronto or Premier Eves, even though they helped. I went to the prime minister. I called Jean Chrétien and I said, Jean. The Stones are willing to do this, but we got to step up. And Kretchen, to his credit, said, well, get Bantino on side uh, for the security and the police and we'll be in. And that's what happened. And Bantino wrote a letter in five minutes once I met with him. And that's the kind of thing that we need to do now. Our problems in Toronto start at the top. Olivia Chow can't do this by herself. That city council doesn't have one hundredth of the power that the Prime Minister of Canada has in terms of getting Toronto where it needs to be. I agree with you. Um, and I don't know how it got there, but but you just documented it. We've arrived here. So it doesn't almost like it's rear view mirror stuff, not from you and not from me, but we're where we're at now for a lot of reasons. We just have to figure out how we pick ourselves up off the ground and come up with solutions here. And, and right now, there's just so much finger pointing. There's just and, and I saw it during the mayor election. So did you. There, there was there was too much of it and there weren't tangible ideas. Uh, Greg, I totally agree with you, but now is now. And I'll tell you, again, going back to our 20th anniversary moment, which mm-hmm. is why you wanted me on the show, and we're trying to make it relevant to today's scene. Yeah. The, the, the word that I would describe 20 years ago was selflessness. This was Ernie Eves, all the Western premiers, uh, uh, the city of Toronto. We were all in the same canoe, and we all knew that if anybody tried to do the wrong thing, the whole canoe would tip and we'd all go in. And so we all collaborated, cooperated. It was an act of selflessness and selflessness, serving the people, selflessness needs to be brought back into the political environment. I, I, I love the concept. I, I wish we had that world in 2003. I wish I wish we had no social media. I wish we weren't doing things, Dennis, if you will, for clicks and likes or because it'll it'll land well with with the public. I think we did less photo ops then and more practical stuff. There's always going to be photo ops and politicians, as you know, will politic. But I just think we're too stuck in, in the mud right now. And it's very frustrating. I, I I'm looking for I'm looking for people I'm not cynical about, Dennis, and it's harder to find than ever. Well, but but your job, uh, Greg, and I say this respectfully, as one of the leading journalists in Canada, thank you. Your job is to push the Prime Minister to get into action in Toronto. Tell him to move into Olivia Chow's office for two weeks and help her out. She cannot do this by herself. Hmm. Yeah, 
I, I, I hear you. And, and, and I also think I'd like to hear more from city council of, of stepping up. I think she took a lot of, a lot of slings and arrows from the police last week. I would have liked to see the city council step up and say, you know, either we're all in this together or we're not. Somebody needs to facilitate Dennis. That bad relationship goes back to when you were um, an MP between Chow and the police. And we need to figure out a way to make it work. And by the way, the police aren't, aren't innocent victims here. They've, they've made their own bed at, times with the community at times with the marginalized people in the city at times with the black community in the city we got to call, call call things as they are sometimes and we've got to figure out a way to make it better going forward instead of worrying about what we did 15 20 years ago well i've had my differences with olivia chow but if olivia chow called me right now and asked me to take out her garbage for the next month in her office for the sake of the city of toronto i would happily do it and that's what i really think the national yeah. leader has to do as well, has to get involved and help her out. Dennis Mills, the former uh, Tor- uh, Toronto area uh, MP, um, and he's joining us now, helping get SARS Fest together 20 years ago yesterday was the concert that really brought Toronto back. Dennis, what do you remember about the very first conversation you had? And did the did the idea just grow bigger and bigger and bigger as the conversations went along? Well, the, 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 the first thing that uh, happened there was a great business, local business community that came together with all kinds of ideas because, as you know, our hospitality industry, hotels, restaurants, etc., had totally collapsed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the plan was for not the summer of 2003. It was for 2004. Well, in my riding out there in the Danforth, they had over 300 restaurants. They wouldn't have been able to see September, let alone next year. So... I went up and uh, had a visit with Michael Cole. And and really, I give Michael Cole all the credit uh, for making this happen because I sat with him and I said, Michael, you know, the city's been good to the both of us. You've got the stones. I think I can deliver the government. And what do you think of this idea? Because the stones have global reach. And he said, I totally agree with you. He said they're on tour in Europe. And uh, he said, uh, I'll talk to the boys tonight and I'll let you know tomorrow whether or not we can arrange something because there's a about a two week break towards the end of July on the European tour. And so to Michael's credit and the Stones credit, of course, the following day, I got a fax saying that they were ready to make the time. But here's the price. Now, you have to know that I was practically stoned. Uh, uh, because because everybody thought I was nuts, uh, wanting to use taxpayers' money uh, to give the, to Mick Jagger and the Stones, and so uh, we came to a compromise in the city on talk shows like yours, mm-hmm. where we said the community said, and they were forceful, no taxpayers' money for the artists. That has to be the private sector. So then fast forward to Dan O'Neill, two days later, the then president of Molson's, and he said, we're in, we're in for the artists. Uh, you've got to deliver the government. And then, uh, so then, uh, so, so those, those were three really defining days of uh, must get these things in order. So the show's in late July. What day do the what what day do you get all these commitments from Rush, yeah, ACDC, the Stones? We had, How we had, we had ten weeks to put it together. Okay. Now I I will tell you this: one of the real advantages that we had was the fact that the year before uh, we did 
the Pope uh, at Downsview. So we had a template for washrooms, security, transportation challenges, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was a big advantage. Mm-hmm. But, but in the end, in the end, uh, we needed to not just Chief Julian Fantino, but we needed the TTC. We needed wheel yes. trans. And, and again, I, I know I'm probably boring your readers or your listeners no. when I say this. The collaboration and the cooperation in that 10-week period was amazing. I remember about a month before the event, we were $2 million short to get this job done. And I called Ernie Eves, and Ernie Eves was so amazing. He said, I'm going to send Tony Clement up there, who was the then health minister, of course, responsibility for SARS. Tony came right to the field at Downsview, and he said, I'm going to make this happen. And he brought uh, Ron um, Fabro from uh, the Ontario Lottery and Gaming. They went around. They saw that the reason we needed the extra money is we were going to do this mile-long barbecue because of uh, the beef situation in Western Canada. Yeah. And and the decision was made. And, and that kind of uh, hands-on, get your hands done, uh, you know, dirty, mix it up, go to the actual site, hang around. And quite frankly, Ralph Klein, uh, the, the uh, premier of uh, Alberta, he was practically on the site for about three full weeks, sort of leading up to the final event. And, and again, I'm repeating yeah. myself, but that's the kind of action we need today. I uh, it's so fascinating. And, and again, it's such a it's such a legacy. And I'm, I'm so glad you let us reach out to you to to remember how how it was important because of the event itself, Dennis. But the, but then it was also there were so many ripple effects and it felt like on a global stage, Toronto's back. It helped those restaurants on the Danforth, but it also helped tourism. It also helped people again, similar to where we were probably a year ago this time. It's OK to gather again. It's OK to get back together. It's OK to live the life that you were living in 2019 again without judgment. Like it was so important to push us forward in 2003, 2004. Well, let me tell your listeners one really fascinating story on that point. Uh, my colleague uh, that worked hand in glove with me on this, Senator Jerry Grafstein, uh, we, you know, our, the, the objective, of course, was to get our signal and message all over the world. So we decided one day to reach out to the minister, or not the minister, the secretary of defense uh, for the United States, because we wanted to get it to all the U.S. military bases there in 97 countries, etc. And so I said, but Jerry, I'm not making that call because MP in the United States means nothing. Senator means something. <laughs> so we got the phone number from Tom Donahue, the head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, because he loved the idea and he loved Toronto mm-hmm. and Canada. And Senator Grafstein called uh, the uh, Secretary of De- Defense and uh, the Chief of Staff came on the line. Yes, Senator, what can I do for you? Well, we were doing this. And he said, I'll get back to you in 20 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes later, he says, I have the secure U.S. defense satellite for your signal. We'll ship this to 97 bases around the world, our 182 ships at sea, and we'll also put it up on the space station. <laughs> like, like, Greg, where, where do you get that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mus- music for astronauts, because they, they need that sometimes. Hey, I got a blast time wise. But I, I, by the way, I know what a... Um, a, a, a I know what an advocate for Toronto's waterfront you are. So please come on in the next week or two 
And let's talk about Ontario Place. I'd love to do that with you just to talk about oh, your boy. vision. Where I know, okay, where it's going to go. I'm happy to do it, but you, you know, you can't. I, you can't swear. You can use some swear words, but not others. How about how about those <laughs> those anyway, parameters? It was uh, it was fun chatting with you. Let's get uh, Trudeau uh, working in. Uh, in Olivia Chow's office and get things on the right track. Okay, in her, in her basement with his own laundry. I got gotcha. you <laughs> to wash those socks. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate well, it. <laughs> this is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, this is almost a more uh, aesthetic question about going to baseball games. I'm there on Saturday. Um, Gord, you haven't been to the new Rogers Center yet, but you went last year. You must have gone to a game last year. When's the last ball game you've gone to? I think it's been a while. Did you go to a Cleveland game last summer? In Cleveland. Okay. So you've been to a Major League Baseball yes, game within the last 12 to, yeah, months? Yeah, just not here. Lyle, have you been to Rogers Center this year for a Jays game? I have been to three, and I am going tomorrow. Listen to you. Okay. Yeah. you Boy, you must be uh, you must be raking in the dough. I can't yeah. afford it. I, <laughs> you wouldn't believe what we paid for uh, 500 level seats on Saturday to see Shohei Otani. Those too much money. The wonderful new general admission tickets have been coming through for me. They're $20 each. I don't need a seat. I just need a place to stand. You wander around. You can go to that Corona rooftop patio in right field. Elbow people out of the way. And you can even go to the kids area. And then those kids are easier to elbow out of the way. Yeah, like see, they're all playing like Connect Four and Cornhole and all that stuff. Th- thankfully, I'm a wide individual. So it's easy to kind of <laughs> squeeze in there. Nobody, people, people give me my space. Me and the fiance I, find uh, spots to stand pretty easily in the GA. I don't area. consider you why. I, I I just think you've got a you got you got a strong power forward mentality to just push people like a <laughs> like a Todd Bertuzzi <laughs> without actually assaulting the person. But here's my uh, here's my concern with Major League Baseball. So Lyle, you're ideal to ask for this. What I noticed, and I've never noticed it before, and someone's gonna call me out, old guy yelling at Cloud. Grandpa Simpson, I'm two decades away from being a grandpa. That's my prediction. But I'm telling you, they play a song, a song between every single pitch. I'm out on the extraneous noise at a Major League Baseball game. I'll give you an example. This Led Zeppelin song is called Cashmere. And like, you just, like a random 1-1 pitch comes in, a little high and outside. And then it stops. Stop it. And then there's another pitch. Like they play it almost right up to when the guy's in the windup. Oh, wow. Why? Well, that's that seems new. It's it's new. I'll give you mm-hmm. another example. Here's uh like on a 2-1 pitch. Okay, pitch just came in. Catcher gets the ball. The second it's in the air back to back to the pitcher. It I it Okay, and I huh. heard this song cuz they want people to do the wee right. They want people doing that. And, but pick your spots. It's every pitch. Lyle, how many pitches in a Major League Baseball get? Like 300? Yep, something around 300. It, I, so I don't need 300 eight-second snippets of songs. Then that's what I get. Uh, my senses orally, A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, are destroyed by the fourth inning. What's your thought on this? You're a younger lad, so maybe you like it. 
Uh, I completely agree with you, actually, but I think that this particular <laughs> issue comes from the new pitch clock because now they only have 15 seconds between pitches, right? Right. So where before, last season when you went, you'd get more snippets of the song and they'd use more music, but I think what they're trying to do now is they're trying to get those really catchy, snippy bits of songs that everybody knows so they can have kind of the sing-alongs and that 20 seconds it takes really fast to reset the pitch. But at the same time, 15 seconds, I don't think you need a music bit for 15 oh. seconds for every single pitch maybe when there's a new batter yes but for every pitch no i'm out i'm oh, totally with you gord yeah see at first you I, love, you're a big music guy and yeah. I, you know i i like my i like my tunes too but yeah. good heavens at first i thought you were yelling at clouds but then to <laughs> in between every pitch to just to, i'm telling you to hear this that's constantly. what i'm telling you there's <laughs> no <laughs> silence and I, yeah. how the, how would i hear cashmere by led zeppelin and how would I hear The Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani? I heard them both at least four times. And then I started paying attention. Right. And then it started getting like a wormhole in my brain. Right. I don't even think Blake Shelton likes Gwen Stefani that much. <laughs> well, not if you read the uh, National Enquirer at the checkout. Not at Metro, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, and I, do they get royalties? Does she get like, she's like, what's this? It's a check for $4.82. That's a good question. Do you Roger Center played my there? music four times. Anyway, it's too, it's all too much. Is it too much for you? Too much music at the Jays games. I'm telling. I'm, I don't want to assail the Jays on this because I bet you it's happening at all 30 major league parks. Maybe not Oakland because nobody goes, so the sound would just bounce off the seats and echo.